Alright, today we look at Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, and talking about praying at church. And praying at church. By the way, thank you so much for being here today. I'm always curious during Christmas pageant time. How many folks will be here on Sunday morning because I know it's busy? And I'm looking out here, I see some choir robes, and uh, many of you are in the choir. And so uh, thank you so much for your faithfulness. Praying at church, uh, this parable talks about two folks that went to church to pray. One had a haughty, arrogant spirit, and one had a very humble spirit. I'm always amazed at people that seem like they would have every right to be prideful, but yet they're so humble. And I think about Billy Graham. Boy, if there's anyone who would have a reason to be prideful, uh, he would be it. But I read this quote about someone that was interviewing Billy Graham. And um, it was a student. And the student said, Dr. Graham, I have noticed that you are a humble man. You are in a position to assert a great deal more authority than you do. Then he went on to say, is there a secret to your humility? Here's Billy Graham's answer. Young man, I have had a lot of experiences that could make me proud, but God commands me to be humble. Humility is not something some people are and some are not, it is a command of God. So we are commanded to be humble. Now, all through the Bible, it seems like pride is a problem that we got. Go back to Genesis, you find the Tower of Babel. Mankind had pride and thought they could reach God by themselves. Now look at David. Look at some of the kings of the Bible. They had great pride and they had to be humbled. Now God knows how to, as my daddy would say, take us down a notch. God knows how to humble us. Now, when you think about pride at church, that doesn't usually get our attention. We often think about those outside of church that are lost and how that they have an arrogant pride about their life. They don't need God. But do you realize that one of the most prideful places in the world can be at church? Now, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1 says, Guard your steps as you go to the house of God and draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know they are doing evil. So Solomon in Ecclesiastes said, guard the steps that you have as you go to the house of God. I followed a pastor at one church. Uh, his name was Bill. 
and his wife's name was Gladys. And uh, Bill called on Gladys to pray one night in prayer meeting. Bill said, uh, Gladys, why don't you close us in prayer? Gladys started praying and she prayed. And, and so after she finished, Bill was critiquing her prayer. And Gladys looked at him and said, I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> I love it. I wasn't talking to you. There are times when people pray in church and they pray around the world as if they're not talking to God. They're praying to be heard by other people. Now, let me just give you some examples. Someone comes up and they pray something like this. God, thank You for this wonderful service. Lord, you know on Tuesday night, 6 o'clock, we're having WMU meeting. Lord, you know everyone's to bring a covered dish. <clears throat> I call that praying the announcements. Yeah. Or, or you get someone that gets up in front of church and prays, now Lord, thank You for this day. We thank You for all those that tithe today. For all those other rotten scoundrels, God, we pray that You just burn them up. I call that preaching your prayer. But you've heard it, haven't you? And so, this parable hits close to home. It's the Pharisee and the, i got to say this correctly, publican. Not Republican. <laughs> it's the Pharisee and the publican. And let's, let's look here at the Word of God. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank You that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, that parable talks about two very different men. Now, I know the Bible calls one a publican, but the publican actually was a tax collector. Now, there ain't nobody that likes them. I mean a tax collector. And so, he was despised 
by the Jewish people of that day. But how different these two individuals are. You know, sometimes you look at somebody and you can just tell they're a humble person. And sometimes you look at a certain animal and you can see sometimes a dog or a cat, you know, they, they've got like a humble spirit to them. Now, I don't know about a cat. <laughs> you know, no one owns a cat. A cat owns you. Is what the deal is on a cat. Aren't cats sneaky? I mean, they're just sneaky, but... Yeah. Got cat lovers here? There are probably a few. All right, there's a few. Yeah, we'll pray for you later. But anyway... <laughs> But uh, maybe, maybe you've lived on a farm and you used to raise chickens. And uh, I read this story, I think it's a great story, about how that they used to go out and pick a chicken and wring its neck and have it for dinner. But uh, let me just read this story to you. I think it's great. This, this person said, we raised chickens when I was a boy. When we wanted a chicken dinner, we started with a live chicken. Today we go to a grocery store and find those poor chickens stripped, covered with goosebumps, huddling in cellophane packages. We are almost embarrassed for them. I noticed back then that a chicken's life was a mixture of danger and pleasure. I often wondered what the chickens thought when we entered the chicken wire prison compound where they lived. We brought them food and water on some visits, so they liked that. On other occasions, we took their eggs. When we did not bring food or water, when we did not head toward the nest to get the eggs, we started for them. To me, it seemed that they got a look of impending doom in their eyes. My mother usually did the actual execution. She would grab the chicken by its head, wring its neck until its head came off. Have you ever seen a chicken immediately after its head is wrung off? Those headless chickens did marvelous things. They ran around headless. They flapped their wings headless. They had a great deal of activity, but they were dead. Now I thought about this Pharisee. He had a lot of religious activity, but he was spiritually dead. Just like that chicken. Now, as you look at these two people today, it's a story of contrast. In this parable, we get a glimpse into the temple life. And we get a glimpse into worship. There are three contrasts that we're going to look at today. Alright, number one, there are two kinds of people. And that's verse number 10. Now look again to verse number 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. Now, the Pharisee, look at him first. The word Pharisee means a separatist. 
It means someone that was different than the others. A separate kind of person. Now, that started out to be a good thing because they were separate from those people of the world. They were separate and unique. And we're supposed to be that. God's people are to be light in a dark place. We're to be salt in a rotten world. We're to be separate. But when you become separate, there's one danger you've got to fight. You can become snooty. You can become a clique. You can become the frozen chosen. Alright? I heard about a supermarket down in Texas. They'd only do this in Texas, but a supermarket down in Texas where uh, it was a Christian supermarket catering to Christians, to God's people. They had justified jelly on the shelves. True story. They had consecrated cornflakes on the shelf. They had Pauline and Paul peanut butter on the shelves. I mean, they had all fixed up. Let me tell you the great danger. Danger is that the people of God will cluster in a holy huddle and tell the world, we don't really care if you go to hell or not. That's the great danger. And that's what we've always got to fight against being so separate that we don't get out there in the world and impact a lost world. Do you remember last Sunday, Pastor Philip preached about being zealous for God? And Pastor Philip said, there's the inreach and the outreach. And we need to be concerned about both. Well, the Pharisees became so separate, they began to look down their sanctified noses at everybody else. What about the publican? Well, he's a tax collector. He was a spiritual outcast. He worked for the government of Rome. He was a traitor to his nation. He was full of greed. But guess what? He knew he was lost. He knew he was a sinner. Now the word publican, the former tax collector here, was classified with sinners and harlots. The man is a picture of an element in a church of people that we sometimes don't want to associate with. I was in a church one time and had a guy join the church and, and you know, he didn't smell exactly right. He didn't look exactly right. But I told the church, I said, it's people like that that Jesus died for. And when you look at this parable, this contrast, my how different these guys are, but they were both in need of the grace of God. The Broadman Bible Commentary has an interesting comment. The Pharisee is not condemned because of his virtues, but because of his sins. So today I would remind us all, 
Churches are full of all kinds of people. Churches are full of people that have money, those that don't have money, those that are glamorous looking, those that don't look too glamorous, those that have gray hair, those that have black hair, those that got no hair. Churches are full of all kinds of people, but one thing they've all got in common, they're sinners. They are all sinners saved by the grace of God. Alright, let's look at the prayer, okay? Two kinds of prayer that we find here. And this is verses 11 through 13. Now, before I look at those, Psalm chapter 19, verse 14 is a wonderful prayer in the Bible. Psalm 19, verse 14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I often want to say that people don't really pray with their mouth. They don't pray with their head. They pray with their heart. When the heart's right, the prayer's right. I remember when Gwen Carter went to the hospital to have her surgery. Called her on the phone one day and prayed with her over the phone right before the surgery. And I remember Gwen saying, Oh, thank you for the blessing of prayer. Thank you for praying for me today. You know, those that pray well know the power of prayer. They know that prayer changes things. They, they know that prayer makes a difference. They, they know that God is duty-bound to hear the prayers of His people. And so as you look at these two kinds of prayers, what a difference. Alright, look at 11 and 12. Here's the prayer of the Pharisee. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. Now boy, here's a humdinger. Listen to this. God, I thank You that I am not like other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. Well, as you look at 11 and 12, William Barclay said in his commentary, the Pharisee really did not go to church to pray. He went to church to inform God how good he was. That's right. In the Message Bible, it's kind of interesting, the Message Bible, it talks about how that um, the Pharisee prayed like this, Oh God, I thank You that I am not like other people, robbers, crooks, adulterers, or heaven forbid like this tax man. The Pharisees took the law and magnified the law and made it a burden instead of a guide to have a relationship with the Lord. For instance, in the law, you're required to fast one time a year. Once a year around the Day of Atonement. This guy fasted how many times? Twice per week. When God's people 
take out the grace of God, and when we take out the mercy and the love of God, this book becomes a burden. But what makes a difference is the character, the grace, and the love of God. Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6 says this, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. And all of us wither like a leaf. And all our iniquities like the wind take us away. Sinners saved by grace is what we are. Alright, look at verse 13. Verse 13 is the humble prayer. Now, listen to the publican. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven but was beating his breast saying, God be merciful to me, the sinner. Now look at the last two words there. The sinner. He did not say, God be merciful to me, a sinner. It was like he was the only sinner in the world. And the reason why is that the public and the tax man's eyes were not on anybody else. His eyes were just on Himself. Again, the Message Bible in verse 13 says, Meanwhile, the tax man slumped in the shadows, his face in his hands, not daring to look up, but said, God give mercy, forgive me, the sinner. Now, the prayer of the Pharisee is indicative of so much of the praying that goes on from self-righteous people. Let me share with you four things about prayer real quick. Number one, in that day, prayer had become nothing more than a ritual. A ritual. There's a danger in repeating the same prayer every day. There's a danger in just going through the motions and not having life and vitality in your prayer. And I went to Israel years ago. Went to the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall. You know, when you get there, if you've been to Israel, they give you one of those, I call them little beanies, alright? A yarmulke. I had the yarmulke on my head. It's kind of windy that day, and I was trying to hold that thing on and walk to the wall and make sure you know it didn't come off. And and um, in fact, somebody was out there selling real pretty ones. You know, I just got a paper one because I'm too cheap. But anyway, I'm walking there and going to the wall, and and I put my hand on the wall and began to pray. And I noticed these people beside of me. They had the black robes and the black yarmulke on, and they were rocking back and forth. And they were just repeating over and over and over again the same words. The Shema! The Lord our God is one. You shall worship the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. They were just repeating that over and over and over again. Let me tell you, <clears throat> there's a danger in prayer becoming a ritual. 
The model prayer is great. But just to repeat that over and over and over again, there's no life in that. And so there's a danger in prayer becoming nothing more than a ritual. Number two, there's prayer that was limited to the present times and occasions. They did not pray as directed by the Spirit. Go to Jerusalem today. And you can hear it all over the city. There's the trumpets. There, there's the crying out in the hour prayer. You know, three times a day. Set times. I'm glad for prayer meeting on Wednesday night, but I'm also glad for those that pray when it's not prayer meeting on Wednesday night. I'm glad for prayer times that are set, but I'm also glad for folks that when they're moved by the Spirit of God and when there's a need out there, they fall to their knees. One of the most exciting things I ever see in church is for someone standing in a hallway and they're bowed together, they're praying together because the Spirit of God's just moved them to pray for someone. There's passion. There's fire. There's excitement in their prayer life. It's because they're moved by the Spirit of God. Muslims and Jews today still have those set times of prayer. If we're not careful, Baptists will adopt the same thing. Number three, long prayers were held in high regard. Man, it's not how long you pray, but it's how passionate and how Spirit-filled your prayer is. Length of prayer doesn't impress anybody. And here's the most dangerous thing, number four. The desire to be heard by others. When you pray, you're talking to the Lord. You're not talking to the people in the room. I had someone the other day tell me, they said, oh, I, I'm so embarrassed when I pray in public because I don't pray great, eloquent prayers. I said, God doesn't care. God doesn't care how eloquent you are. God just looks at your heart. Well, when you pray, just realize it's conversation between you and the Lord. It's holy communion between you and your Father in heaven. Let me move on. Third and last thing today. Third and last, there's a contrast here in profit. Contrast in profit. Verse number 14. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And boy, here's the difference in profit. The public and the tax man went home justified, just as if he had never sinned. But the old good-for-nothing Pharisee went home in pride just like he came. One received by God, one refused by the Lord. So I think anytime we come to church, God wants us to realize we're not there to worship man. We're there to worship the Father in heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word today. Lord, what a wonderful lesson for us.
And God, even now as I'm praying, God, it's conversation between me and You. Others may be listening, but God, they're not the audience. God, You're the audience. And Father, I pray that we would not become self-righteous. I pray that we would not become a holy clique. But God, we would have the burden for a lost world. In reach and outreach. Because Jesus died for sinners. They need to be on our heart all the time. Father, today bless as we go down to worship You. May You be pleased with our worship today. In the wonderful name of Jesus, Amen. Have a great day. Go ahead.